Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC Sports, brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com, the go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear. Welcome to the Inside Carolina Coast to Coast podcast. I'm your host, John Siegley. I am joined, as always, by Cheryl McMillan and Sean Moran. We are sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt and JohnnyTShirt.com. Your place to go for Carolina gear. Guys, the basketball recruiting information is still a little bit at a low point, but still there are some noteworthy items that I think that we can discuss for this week's podcast. And let's just jump right into this. Probably the one player that the UNC fans and on Inside Carolina, that this is the one that has garnered the most debate right now is Kerwin Walton. He is someone that could join the current recruiting class. But as we were talking about off air, the biggest thing right now is if UNC is going to have a scholarship available for him. Now, I think that Carolina is in a pretty good position for Walton if, you know, that does become available. Sherelle, what's the latest that you're hearing about the UNC recruitment of Kerwin? Uh, That it's still taking place for a while um we had thought that maybe north carolina had decided to not recruit him depending upon the scholarship situation but what we learned over the last couple of months is that they kept in contact with him you know basically even after puff johnson signed back in october uh and right now after talking to his dad uh we did a story i guess about a week ago and he seems to be getting close to making a decision um Obviously, with the coronavirus pandemic that's going on, he can't take visits anywhere else, but he's taking visits to, I think, most of the schools that he is interested in. And that is kind of a group that includes Minnesota, um, which is where he's from, Texas, uh, Creighton, Vanderbilt, North Carolina, Arizona, and Georgetown seems to be kind of the the lead group. And, you know, if you read tea leaves, you start to wonder, okay, Curran Walton had these same offers back in uh, October. and None of the other schools were really facing any scholarship restrictions or, um, you know, coming up against the 13 Matt scholarship limit. So he could have committed to them pretty much at any time. And his dad said that they wanted to kind of wait until April to get really serious about um, uh, his recruitment and and try to make a decision then. But the coronavirus stuff pushed it up. So um, it makes you wonder that North Carolina is waiting to see if it has a scholarship come open. And Walton kind of still refuses to make a commitment at this point. You kind of have to read the tea leaves and say, well, maybe he's kind of waiting for North Carolina to see if they have a scholarship open. So that's where things stands with him. Um, again, Sean can get, go more into uh, his game, but um, his main attribute coming in as a freshman would be to be a knockdown shooter. I think that's, you know, you talk about finding a niche and finding something that you can do to help the team. His will definitely be perimeter shooting. 
So, Sean, you gave a brief profile on Walton, at, I believe, at our last podcast, maybe the one before that. But, yeah, go ahead and provide us a quick breakdown for him. And then after you do that, I've got a follow-up question for you. Sure. Uh, I think it was last time we chatted, but as Sherelle mentioned, uh, great shooter. So it would definitely provide some outside shooting help along with Puff Johnson. Uh, good size. I think the main uh, deficiency is the lack of athleticism. Um, I think that's been well discussed on the the message boards. But, you know, who's to say what would happen once he got into the strength and training program at UNC, you know, how that would improve. Um, and I think our conversation last time uh, we had it, I was saying initially I was kind of uh, negative on, on him taking up a scholarship. But I think it's also important next year, but in addition to the year after and potentially having him as a sophomore, I think could be beneficial of having somebody knowing the system and somebody that can shoot. And then ideally, you know, you're working with, you know, somebody that can get a little more athletic. Um, Just with the size, I think that helps already. Um, And I think, you know, there are things to work on Uh, over the Adidas tournament. He was one of the top spot up shooters based on synergy numbers and, you know, maybe it's just a one or two dribble pull-up jump shot. He's not going to be dunking on anybody. Uh, but at the same time, I think there's could be more to his game than just uh, spot-up shooting as his career progresses. And then the question that Sherelle brought up about the scholarships. I mean, when you're looking at it right now, Sean, Cole Anthony, he's going to go pro. That brings Carolina to the limit. And at that point, it really just becomes, is Carolina going to have someone maybe go on a medical? Is someone going to potentially transfer out of the program? That's the big unknown right now. I think a lot of fans have speculated that maybe someone like Brandon Huffman or Sterling Manley, both of who saw very, very limited uh, playing time this year. Actually, I don't think Manley played at all due to his his knee issue and then Huffman – maybe played in three or four games tops. I don't have the numbers in front of me. But when you're looking at the roster for next season, I mean, where do you think a scholarship could potentially come from if one does, in fact, open up? Yeah, I mean, it's hard to talk about openings, not, you know, especially with with if people come back, you know, there won't be any, assuming that Cole goes to the NBA. Uh, I think, as you alluded to, Brandon Huffman, who who was passed by Miller in terms of playing time, uh, you know, if you wanted to potentially either, I don't know if he has the ability to graduate or, or transfer and find a program where he might uh, be able to play more, you know, that could be an option. And as you mentioned, Manley, who showed, you know, so much promise as a freshman, has just been plagued by by injuries. Uh, I think you see every day on the transfer portal that people are transferring left and right. You haven't seen any, you know, anything from, from UNC, um, you know, could be waiting to end the semester, but Right now, it's kind of a, a waiting game, but if it were to be any of them, I think, you know, Huffman would, would most likely be the, the probable one, but, you know, maybe he, he ends up ends up staying, and then, then UNC isn't adding uh, anybody new to the roster. What kind of timeline do you think we're looking at here, Sherelle, with these transfers? Because, I mean, the university is shut down for the rest of this spring semester. I mean, who knows even when summer activities will begin, so do you think that we're looking at something where Kerwin Walton may hold off on making a decision, but then if Carolina, if, this, if the situation just remains the same for too long, he does go ahead and commit somewhere else? 
Uh, yeah, and uh, you know that's part of the dynamics of trying to figure this out if you're the Walton family because there are other schools on his list who he likes who maybe have an open scholarship, but they're only going to wait a certain amount of time before they say, okay, let's just grab, you know, grand trans grad transfer X or um, other player from high school over here. Let's grab this guy. Um, so that's something he has to kind of weigh as well, like waiting for UNC, which it seems like he's doing versus making sure he has somewhere to go that he really likes. Uh, so I think, you know, last week, his dad said a couple of weeks, you know, you try to give people a week on either side when they say something like that. So I, I would say max a couple of weeks from now, um, just because, you know, what, what I just kind of explained is that he wants to make sure he has a good spot somewhere. So I, I don't think you'll see this uh, go farther than maybe the second week in April, like top. So I, I think if you want to call that imminent, I think that's kind of where he's at. All right. And then there's another dark horse candidate that could be on the UNC roster for next season. And that is a grad transfer from Santa Clara. Trey Wirtz. Now, he is someone that I had no idea was even in the portal until I saw the article that was posted on Inside Carolina. He's another guard, I mean, that fits in the mold of Coach Williams wanting shooting next season. Basically, that is seems to be his number one goal, is to have more players able to knock down shots heading into what we hope is going to be the next college basketball season. So, Sean, I mean, Santa Clara, right out there in California where you're at, man, have you seen much of Trey Wirtz? And can you just give us a little bit of of a breakdown of his player profile? Sure. So he is out in California. Um, I did not catch him in person. I didn't make it. uh, And I really enjoy going to Loyola Marymount games because you can usually get a cheap seat and sit two rows back and see teams such as Gonzaga, St. Mary's, et cetera. But Santa Clara was, was not on my list of uh, teams to go watch, but now I wish I, I had gone to see him in person. And, you know, I think for him, uh, as you mentioned, shooting. So he shot 39% from the three point line as a sophomore. Uh, this is on 115 attempts, so a pretty good sample size and a marked improvement from 32% as a freshman. Uh, in conference play, he had a pretty high high assist rate, and you know when you go to go to synergy overall, he was in the seventy third percentile. And uh, you know they they characterize the different different play types, but uh, for pick and roll ball handling, that's where he spent about forty percent of his possessions, and he rated in the eighty eighth percentile, which is kind of a an excellent rating. And then the second most was twenty two percent in spot up where he was given a very good rating of almost one point per possession. So the numbers, uh, you know, the numbers look pretty good. Uh, I was talking to an assistant coach who is in the West Coast Conference about the transfer. And, you know, he said it was going to be a huge loss for Santa Clara, losing somebody like that after their sophomore year, probably could have contended for, um, you know, first team all league next year. But he he was a little ambivalent of, of how that, uh, would transfer over to UNC. So he kind of said, very good league guard, not that athletic. He might be more of a manage the game type PG at a at a UNC type level. So that gave me a little pause. And you know, I do want to watch, watch some more film. But right now, it seems like they are high on him. Most likely, he'd have to sit out a year unless, uh, you know, something with the NCAA came through. But, you know, similar to Cam Johnson, you would have two years rather than it being a straight grad transfer where, you basically are thrown in and then you're out before you really learn the system. So 
you know, that could be, could be something. And then at the same time, he has good size being listed at six, four, six, five. And then, um, you know, just for another Carolina recruiting throwback on Kempom, one of the player comparisons is actually LJ Rose from his uh, 2015 year in Houston. So we'll, uh, we'll throw that name out there for uh, people from a long time ago. Good call out, man. Uh, LJ Rose, geez. So, Sherelle, Sean mentioned that Wirtz is a traditional transfer. In other words, he would have to sit out the year unless the NCAA does come and they change the rules where transfers do not have to sit that out. That makes him not really an either-or situation with Walton. So how do you think that impacts UNC's ability to land one or potentially both of these players? Um, well, first off, um, I think he cut his down, list down to 11. So I just wanted to put that out there. So the list real quick is Arizona, Butler, NC State, uh, UNC, Notre Dame, Ohio State, Oklahoma, Stanford, Virginia, Xavier, Xavier and Vanderbilt. So that's the 11 that he's kind of working towards from now. Um, as far as the the, the fit, um, I think it's really about scholarships at this point, because even if he is a traditional transfer, whether he um, asks for a waiver to play immediately and is granted or not, and he has a city year, he's still going to take up a scholarship. So for North Carolina to sign Walton and Wirtz, they would need not just one extra scholarship to come about, but two extra scholarships. So that means two players not named Cole Anthony who were on the roster last year would have to leave to make room for both of those guys. So to me, that seems like an unlikely situation. Uh, so I, I do think it, it's, it could uh, end up being an either-or situation. Now, at the moment, Wurtz doesn't have an offer from UNC. He's had uh, a couple conversations with Steve Robinson. We'll see kind of where it goes over the next week or so. Uh, as far as talking with Roy Williams. And that's when things really kind of pick up. You know, the way UNC recruits, you know, the, the assistants do the legwork. And then once Roy Williams comes in, he kind of, I don't want to say takes over, but he becomes a co-point man with the um, lead assistant. So if he has a conversation with Wirtz and gets an offer, then I think it's a situation where it's just a matter of, you know, who commits first. A- again, all this goes back to, however, North Carolina first has to have a scholarship come open um, and that hasn't happened uh, yet. So we'll see. <clears throat> and you talked about the last question, you talked about timing a little bit. Um, the coronavirus has changed everything. You know, I, you, you wouldn't be surprised if some of these guys make decisions tomorrow and you wouldn't be surprised if some of these guys wait for another two or three weeks just to see if they're actually able to get on campuses or not. But it's, it's a tough uh, balancing act for everyone. Um, and it, it really is unprecedented just seeing how, people are trying to make decisions about so many things, whether it's leaving for the NBA or whatever, the, the testing the waters process might not even exist this year. So there's that. And then there's trying to figure out grad transfers and traditional transfers. And should I go to this school sight unseen? So it's, it's, it's a chaotic situation for a lot of people in a lot of schools right now. Yeah, there's a massive amount of unknowns and coaching staffs all across the country are just having to deal with this. We'll see what the future holds in the short term and and the long term as well. But let's go ahead and take a commercial break to talk about our friends at John T-Shirt and JohnT-Shirt.com. They are your place to go for Carolina gear. They are your local small business supplier of all things UNC. So during these difficult times, if you are looking to support some of your local businesses, especially those in the Chapel Hill area, 
strongly want to put out Giant T-Shirt's name as a place. You can shop online at GiantT-Shirt.com where you can find their awesome selection. Everything that you could possibly want for the Carolina fan in your family. They've got the jerseys. They've got the gear. They've got the apparel. They've got the miscellaneous items. Again, anything that you could possibly want. You also get top-notch customer service. And don't forget that if you are a subscriber to Inside Carolina, you get 10% off of your orders there at Giant T-Shirts location on Franklin Street or online at GiantT-Shirt.com. You can get that 10% off code from the Tar Pit Premium Message Board or the Basketball Premium Message Board. So that's Giant T-Shirt and GiantT-Shirt.com, your place to go for Carolina gear. And let's go ahead and knock out the national sponsors as well. So we will be right back after this. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. And we're back with the Inside Carolina Coast to Coast podcast. John Siegley here with Sean McMillan and Sean Moran. So guys, moving over to the class of 2021 now. There was the article that was ran on Inside Carolina a few days ago about Dontrez Styles, who's a in-state prospect out from the Kinston area. That is an area of the state that most Carolina fans are very, very familiar with. A lot of UNC greats have come from that part of the Old North State. Let's go ahead and get a quick player profile for him. And I'm actually going to put Sherelle kind of uh, front and forward for this one because I've been picking on Sean with uh, having to break down these guys' games. So, Sean, you can definitely chime in. But, Rail, what can you tell us about Dontrez Styles? We got to watch him at the MBPA Top 100 camp this past summer, and he actually was one of the youngest players there. And, it, it you know, he kind of looked like it. You could tell that he wasn't uh, quite as developed as a player as some of the older guys. And honestly, um, I'm not just saying this because they're both from Kinston, but it reminded me a lot when we saw Brandon Ingram at the MBPA camp back in, I guess that was maybe 2013 or 2014. Uh, Ingram was, I don't want to say he was bad, but he struggled <laughs> for, for you most of it, he, was yeah, he was He was bad for most of the tournament. And there was you know rumors there that maybe Carolina and Duke were going to drop him and they weren't really um, interested in him anymore. And then he kind of turned it around uh, during his uh, junior and senior seasons, ended up a top five player and a top five pick and everything. Anyway, um, I just thought that was funny that uh, Styles also struggled at MBPA and they're both from Kinston. But, um, you know, Styles is, he's 6'6". Uh, he has that kind of uh, tweener feel to him where his uh, skills as a small forward aren't quite there yet, but he can also be a small ball four. And I think that's initially where he would get the most minutes and I think it's initially his best position just because he's very um, strong. He's very athletic, um, built very well for someone who's his age. Um, And then, you know, there's some work he has to do on his jump shot, but 
you know, you take everything else into consideration, um, the athleticism, the the talent, the motor, the strength, the rebounding. Um, he's versatile. He can kind of do a little bit of everything. I think for Kinston, he might have led them in like four or five different statistical categories, points, assists, rebounds, blocks. I think there's one more, um, steals and steals as well. Um, he's a guy who can, I think, legitimately defend two through four and maybe even some fives depending upon their height. So he gives you um, that uh, ability. And, you know, I think he himself is just not caught up in, in position labels as much as a lot of people. Um, when we talked to him, he said, I'm just a ball player. And I always respect that because to me, that shows someone who's willing to do whatever the coach asks. And for North Carolina, that's a, that's the type of piece they really haven't had um, the last few years. Not the part about someone willing to do what the coach asks, but someone who can play a, a ton of different positions, do a ton of different things. And on any given night, you know, kind of give North Carolina something different. So um, he has all that going for him. Um, you know, he's ranked, I think, as a you know top 70 type player in the country. Um, uh, like I said, six six from Kinston. I just think he is one of those solid guys who, by year three, maybe is is um, really peaking and, and really becoming a great player for UNC if he were to to pick Carolina. So um, I, I think it's a good offer. I think it's a smart offer, considering everything that's going on, like we've been talking about with the coronavirus pandemic. Um, you want to try and keep kids local, and Styles is the best player in North Carolina, arguably the best player in North Carolina in twenty twenty one. So why not offer? Well, definitely uh, don't have a whole lot to add. Well done, Sherelle. I mean, I think the main thing for him is that, you know, he right now he's ranked, uh, I think, 68th by 24-7. And I think he probably would have been a guy that does really well um, in AAU play. And I think you could have seen his, uh, you know, his stock rise pretty quickly. Um, so I think it's good to to get the offer, especially for a North Carolina guy and, Sherelle, you know, kind of laid it all out in terms of his uh, his strengths and weaknesses. I, I mean, I think the one thing, uh, he averaged 15 points per game in AAU play last year on the 17 level, which is pretty impressive being being a year younger uh, than most of the competition. So, you know, he could have been at maybe 17, 18 uh, this year. And, you know, as Sherelle mentioned again one time about the, about the shooting, uh, you know, watching some of the video, you could see as soon as he kind of releases, there's a little, little hitch in his shot, which I think will definitely need to be fixed or else no matter where he goes in college, you're just going to have teams playing, playing way off of him. But right now, definitely an athletic player that can attack the glass, um, really good in transition and very versatile. So, you know, exciting to see how he progresses, obviously not over the spring or most likely the summer, but I think come, uh, you know, come next fall, he'll be a guy that will probably be jumping into the the top 50 rankings wise. And then one last thing in terms of the MBPA camp, going back to Brandon Ingram, I, I remember seeing him both as he went into his junior year and then senior year. And, you know, he was so skinny and thin. He was just non-existent at a, at a camp that relies on physicality. And even though I wasn't able to see styles, I could imagine that was, uh, you know, probably part of it. And uh, Ingram had that, summer ball, you know, summer play right afterwards. And that was where he really made his jump. So, you know, it could have easily been, been something that styles did as well that we probably will not get to see. And I was just going to add, I know people like player comparisons and everything. Um, he just reminds me of those rugged kind of underranked North Carolina players uh, who've gone on to have great success in college, like a Gary Clark. Uh, I think he was from Clayton outside of Raleigh, a, a little bit of him. PJ Tucker is someone he reminds me of as well. Just, 
They don't really have positions. They're all about six, between six, four and a half and six, six, but they can give you a little bit of everything. And they all, as they improved in college, uh, or excuse me, they all improved in college over the course of their careers. And I think Gary Clark had is still playing in the NBA. And, and you know, PJ Tucker has made, you know, a whole career out of just being the versatile guy who can guard, you know, whether it's Russell Westbrook or Giannis or whoever and make corner threes. Like those are the two things that he does well. And he's made, you know, probably a hundred million dollars just doing it. So that's kind of the the feel I get for Styles. Someone who once he gets to college can find that one or two things that he's really, really good at and just become a pro because of it. See, I can't believe that it has been so many years since you guys watched Ingram at that camp. And I mean, we're coming up actually <laughs> on the five year anniversary of Ingram committing to Duke. I was looking at it. He committed on April 27, 2015. So yeah, just uh, guys, we're, we're continuing to get older. Let me ask y'all this about Dontrez Styles, though. He is currently ranked the number 57 overall player. Do you see that ranking going up as he gets a little bit stronger and continues his high school career? Sean, let's start with you for that one. Yeah, I definitely see it going up. I mean, I would I would say, you know, being in the 40s is is fairly realistic and could even be higher off that depending on on you know his overall skill level uh, i mean i think especially how a lot of people try to look at the rankings now is you know what's their potential nba projection and i think athletically he definitely fits that void or you know fits that um you know skill set in terms of being athletic enough so i could see him you know perhaps yeah jumping up 40s would be i think realistic and potentially even higher than that. Um, but, you know, on that note, you kind of mentioned Ingram and his commitment date that happened a little after kind of the Nike hoop summit and McDonald's all American game. And once again, that was another area where his stock continued to rise and he got that rankings bump similar to, uh, to Nas little and, and some other players. And now once again, you're not going to have that. So there are going to be a lot of players that, you know, don't turn into that five-star player that, probably would have with the spring and summer AU circuit. So, you know, it's going to be what programs can can find those players and try to get them locked up, uh, locked up early. That's a really good point, Sean. I had not even thought about that. Sherelle, what about your take on where Styles could ultimately end up in the rankings? Yeah, it's a, it's a big unknown because, when you know, when is if you tell me when basketball is going to start again, then I think I, maybe I can give you a better answer. But is there going to be summer ball? And if there's not, would he really have an opportunity to to make a dent uh, in his ranking? Well, you know, we're playing in high school tournaments, albeit ones that are national, and maybe an all-star game or two be enough to take him from 58 into the top 30, for instance. Um, I, I don't know. I, I think, like Sean said before, he is someone I, I, who would have done really well, I believe, in summer ball this season, and that would have facilitated, you know, his rankings improvement. Also, he could have been someone who, you know, played well, for a few events and maybe got an invite to USA basketball mini camp that they held, they hold um, a couple of times a year. And then maybe that changes how he's seen by scouts, but because there's no travel ball, you know, those opportunities are going to be limited. Um, so I, I don't mean to be obtuse or anything, but I just don't, I can't tell you because I, I don't know how much he's going to be seen over the next year. It just depends on how all the um, pandemic stuff kind of works itself out and whether it does or not, honestly. Do you think that the raw ability is there, though, Sherelle, for him to be a, a potential top 30-ish type player in the entire country? 
Oh yeah, for sure. It's just more about putting together production. And, um, you know, a lot of, uh, people, um, especially scouts, they, they look at production, um, as a part of their, um, uh, I guess their formula, their personal formula for how they rank. And he has that production in high school, but that production hasn't really been seen as much on the AAU circuit. Last year he played 17s and he was a, a little young to be playing 17s. Um, so this was the year, you know, that he would be the guy for CP3 um, that he could go out and show kind of how good he was. And without that opportunity, you know, I just don't know if he'll make it, but I do think that he has the talent and the work ethic to get there. All right, guys, so let's go ahead and wrap up the podcast with something a little bit lighthearted, potentially. I don't know. This may actually strain the bonds of our friendship here, depending on how contentious the argument goes. And we're going to piggyback off of something that Taylor Vipolis did in his podcast that posted earlier today on Monday. We are recording Monday afternoon. And that is the great debate between the 2005 and 2009 National Championship squads here at Carolina. Now, I'm going to go ahead and just put the spotlight briefly on Sherelle because in the actual thread, Sherelle posted, was it hashtag Team 2005, I believe it was. So we know where, where you stand. So, Sean, let's get your thoughts first. Between 2005 and 2009, I mean, who do you think would win in that hypothetical matchup? <laughs> I mean, I, I think uh, I'm biased just because I got to see the the O5 team almost every game in person, and I think I would go with the the O5 O5 team, although it would be a heck of a matchup. Uh, it was interesting hearing them kind of go through position by position, and they definitely didn't really want to, you know, say, you know, is is Felton better than Lawson, or is Lawson better than Felton uh, for a lot of positions. Uh, so they kind of went went with ties, but it was fun. Kind of listening to them go back and forth and you know one of the things was hearing Jawad talk about uh, Rashad McCants's just basketball ability and you know I think if you want to go position by position I'd probably take Lawson over Felton McCants over Ellington Danny Green over um, Jackie and then I would go with with May and Jawad and then uh, the 05 bench with with Marvin and and Melvin getting the main minutes and then even you know David Noel etc so I would probably go with uh, with that team, and I mean they shot. I mean it's crazy to look at that they shot over forty percent from from the three point line, and you know from a talent perspective, went against the very talented teams. But you know, oh nine just ran through everybody and was easily head and shoulders above um, all teams that year. And once again, Lawson was absolutely incredible that year, and you got you had guys that could shoot from you know every position and knew their roles, but. I think I would go with 05, but I know I'm a little uh, uh, prejudiced in this one. Well, it's all right. I'm biased as well because I would go with 09, but that was obviously <laughs> the year that I was at Carolina when they won. To me, it, the margins are just so thin here. And, Rel, I'll let you retort to my argument here in just a second, but I'm going to keep you on mute until that happens, though, just uh, FYI. So, to me, it just comes down, honestly, to really, I hate to say it, but foul trouble because that, I think, would be the determining factor. If Ty is able to get Felton into some, in, into some foul trouble, then you have to shift Jackie over, which means that that opens up more shots for Danny Green and, and Wayne Ellington on the perimeter. The post play is what's also very, very interesting because 
I think Jawad has a advantage over Dion in the sense that Jawad could take Dion outside and shoot over him. Dion's a little bit beefier there on the inside, probably help out with the rebounding. And between May and Hansborough, that's where, I mean, which way are the whistles going to go? Because the thing Ben posted it in the actual thread that if you're looking at the stats, I mean, Sean May actually had a more dominant scoring run. He averaged 22.3 points per game. Hansborough only averaged 17.5. And that was probably just due to the fact that 09 really didn't need Hansborough to, you know, average over 20 points a game. They were just blowing people out. But with Tyler, I think that he has an advantage over Sean in the sense of that he could take him outside and shoot. And so then do you see kind of a Jawad versus Tyler matchup? And then you put Sean against Dion and all of those variables. I think that Hansborough is kind of the one player that I would actually think would decide this matchup even over Ty because I do think that the speed that Lawson had gives him a little bit of an advantage over Felton, but I I think it comes down to that interior, and really it's just how physical are these guys going to be able to go. If it goes down to the bench, I mean, with you know Williams being on the 05 bench, that's a huge advantage. He's by far the best bench player out of all of them, but you know, I was not a super big fan of of early uh, David Noel. I mean, Scott and Rayshon Terry, those guys were okay. But, I mean, Ed Davis was really, really good. You had Bobby Frazier, who I think it would be probably the more steadier backup point guard as opposed to his counterpart. And then you also had a young Zeller, who we know what, what he would eventually grow into. I will give the slight advantage to 09 just because I think Lawson and Hansborough find a way, but it is super duper close. But, you know, Sherell, you can go ahead now because, like I said, you you put your flag down early in that one and said Team 2005. So let's hear it, man. Uh, I mean, they're a better team. I mean, <laughs> I don't know what else people want me to say. Like, I, you know, and, and I'm sure we're going to get some criticism for this that I'm talking trash about 2009 or whatever, but I, I'm not. I mean, that was it was a good team. They they definitely steamrolled their way through the tournament. Um, but I, I do think they've become kind of um, – I don't know. The the myth of 2009 has kind of grown over time. Like, yeah, they beat everybody by 12. And I don't mean to diminish that. But, you know, it's not like they weren't playing for their life against LSU, you know, in the second round. Um, just like the 2005 team was playing for their life against Villanova. So um, their their tournament runs weren't vastly different, except for I think 2005 played a better team or a much better team. A team that had been number one throughout the entire season um, in the championship game. Uh, I, yeah. I think that if you start going position by position, um, for for me, I, there are three guys I would take definitely from 2005 over 2009. And then there are a couple that people might be surprised by that I think are, are closer to pushes than people realize. But just because 2005 to me um, was just so so functional as a team, even though they had the whole, um, was it uh, team versus talent thing that people were portraying against Illinois and Carolina, mm-hmm. even though that was going on, you know, 2005 was a really cohesive unit. And again, not saying that 2009 wasn't, but there was just something that 2005 had um, that was just more raw, I think, than what 2009 uh, had. 2005 was, was um, or I guess say 2009 was, was very clinical in how they played. 2005 was very raw in how they played. And if I had to choose between the two, um, if we're talking about, you know, a, a hypothetical seven-game series, I'm going to choose the raw 
over the clinical, just because um, I think there are some times where 2009 might have just coasted a little bit and said, you know, we don't need to play defense because we're so good offensively, no one can stop us, which was true. Um, but I, I think against a team like 2005, that can come back to haunt you a little bit. Uh, so, you know, I would I would take Ray Felton over Ty Lawson. I know that is... Ooh. I yeah, know people are like, what are, what are you talking about? I would take Rashad McCants over Wayne Ellington. Yeah. I think Danny Green and, and Jackie Manuel is a push. I think people really underestimate what Jackie Manuel did for that team and how good of a player he was. Uh, I think Jawad Williams and Marvin Williams are uh, better uh, at the four for the 2005 team. And I honestly would take Sean May. I think Sean May is the quintessential perfect post player for North Carolina. And again, I know people like Tyler Hansborough was national player of the year and he was, you know, four time first team all American, et cetera, et cetera. But Sean May's footwork, like if people if people haven't seen him play a lot, like his footwork and his hands were just just uh just amazing. Like um from the first time we saw him, this is this is going way back, so I apologize and I'm gonna stop soon. Um we saw him play, I think it was Peach Jam in two thousand one against Sheldon Williams um, down in Augusta. It was athletes first against whatever Indiana team that Sean was playing for. And the footwork, I, we were like, this is Tim, this is like a shorter Tim Duncan, the way he catches the ball, the way he rebounds, the way he moves his feet. Um, and I don't know. I just think, I think Hansborough would have his hands full. Um, and then, you know, like I said, you talk about Mark bringing Marvin Williams off the bench um, because Tyler Zeller in 2008-2009 was not Tyler Zeller. Or Tyler Zeller from 2008-2009 was not the ACC Player of the Year Tyler Zeller. And then Davis was solid, but, you know, he had some growing to do as well. And so I just don't think there's that much of a, a difference in the roster. And so because of that, I'll take, you know, kind of the 2005 team. Both teams were hungry coming into their championship season, but it was, it was a, a different type of hunger. The 2009 team had gotten embarrassed in the Final Four, and circumstances led them to kind of, you know, give it one one final push. The 2004-2005 team was fighting for kind of what it meant to be the Carolina program and to get it back on top. And, you know, maybe it's nostalgia or, or emotion or whatever, but those kind of things kind of tipped the scales for me to 2005. And because I think Ray Felton is like, you know, I, I think he's, I won't say that. I, I'm a big Ray Felton fan. So I'll just leave it at that. We know, okay, watching. We know. Watching Felton that year, you know, I didn't think anybody was going to be able to top Felton. And, you know, but watching Ty that year was extremely impressive. Um, and not that I'm I'm switching switching teams, I'm staying on the 05 side here. But, you know, it's kind of every, every fan's dream to have kind of a, a backcourt and wings of, of Lawson, who was shooting an absurd 47% from three. And then on each side of the wing, you've got, got Ellington, 42%, and one of the best pure shooters I've seen. And then Danny Green, 42% as well. Um, so, I mean, the, the fact that, you know, we're able to argue about this and the fact that all these guys were there as juniors and seniors, um, you know, definitely is definitely lucky that we got to witness both of those. And I do feel like Tyler probably gets a short end of the stick um, a lot of the time, you know, not based on production but more just kind of style of play um but i still lean 2005 you know i think as cheryl mentioned sean may was fantastic down the stretch um sean mccants i think was one of the most gifted offensive players i've seen and man felton you know felton could d you up and and he was tough but it would have been a it would have been a good matchup um i think john i know john's been thinking about this for a while he was you know in terms of uh foul trouble and 
everything like that. Um, but uh, it, it would be a good matchup. But 05 is, is uh, I think, the team to beat. And one final comment, just listening to the podcast once again, it was very well done and it was fun to hear kind of two former UNC athletes, you know, talk about it uh, as well as their experiences. But I did feel Jawad kind of got himself in trouble at the end saying, you know, we were kind of the big brother always beating up the the younger brother in those summer games. And then Dion made a comment of, well, you know, usually in any movie or anything, it's the little brother that ends up being better than the big brother because of all that, which could be true. But, um, you know, I think, uh, you know, two two great teams that we got to watch. Yeah, they were both amazing teams. And I think Rashad is the one player that neither side has a really good answer to. Because if you're talking about post-play, you know, the Shawmay versus Tyler Hansborough. Well, Sherelle, you brought up how Shawmay played against Sheldon Williams. Uh, how did Tyler Hansborough handle Sheldon Williams as a freshman? Oh, that's <laughs> right. He crushed him as a freshman. That's right. I don't... Yeah, come on now. But, you know, Rashad... It's just the guy that you can say Danny Green was a really good defender, and he really was. Um, same thing with a couple of the other guys on the on the 09 team, but I just don't see anyone that can actually truly shut down Rashad McCants. And I think that would be the thing that you hang your hat on. Everyone else could have a little bit of, of an off night, but that's that, to me, that's the thing that if you're going to make the strongest argument from 05, it starts and ends with Rashad. Everything else you can counter with, well, if he's going to do, you know, if Sean's going to own the inside, Tyler's going to go at him on the inside as well and also shoot some threes. You know, if Raymond and Ty are going to get into a speed contest and an assist contest, those guys, they can keep pace with each other. But yeah, I mean, I don't, I, I think that shooting guard, Wayne is one of the most dead eye guys that we've seen, like you mentioned, Sean, but yet he's going to go up against someone in Rashad that he has not been able, that he really didn't see a whole lot in college and that ability to post up, uh, which Jawad talked about in the podcast. I think that's what also makes Rashad a little bit unique to me. Like I said, at the end of the day, it just comes down to Ty Lawson and, Han- and Tyler Hansberg, true two truly tr- uh, transcendent UNC talents. And I think I will just back them. How, well, how are they more transcendent than Ray Felton and, and Sean May? I, I'm curious. Just because I think Ty, I mean, I know like you love Raymond Felton probably more than anyone else loves a Carolina player. I just think Ty's better. I mean, I think Ty is just as good defensively, is faster, and has probably a little bit better vision and is a better outside shooter. I mean, what was... Okay, I'll give, um, you, be- I'll give you better, but is he appreciably better? I think so, actually. Okay, I really sure. do. Let's just stop then. Uh, you know, that's fine. I mean, I mean, you're talking like between an A and an A plus. And I think when you're talking about such fine margins, that is an appreciable difference between an A and an A plus. That's that's what, what where I'm coming at it from. We all believe in something, John. I'm glad so, you have. So, in, so if 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 Kendall Marshall doesn't get hurt against Creighton and UNC wins the 2012, I mean, I don't think they're getting into the 2005-09 discussion, but do you think, you know, do you think that would that would be a topic of conversation? I don't think I, so, honestly. I think that was a more impressive collection of talent. 2012, yes. Mm. Now, were they as good as, as good of a team? I don't think so. You can't lose by 30 
I'm not sure which year it was that he lost by 30 to Florida State, but you can't do that and be considered one of the better teams in school history. But if you look at the if you look at the 2012 roster, um, it is right up there for me. With 2007 is kind of the most stacked, you know, depth wise Carolina team because not only did you have Kendall Marshall and I don't know how we got on this, but Kendall Marshall and and Reggie Bullock and and uh, Harrison Barnes and Tyler Zeller and John Henson, but you also had PJ Harrison and you also have James Mac- Michael McAdoo. You had a team basically where um, you know Dexter Strickland and Lisa McDonald, two okay players, were like the ninth and tenth best players on the roster, and to me that says it all. I mean that's that's that is those top eight or nine for that team. I, I would put against a, a you know a large number of teams in Carolina history. Anyway, um, since Sean brought it up, I also think the whole if Kendall Marshall would have been a healthy thing, Carolina wins the title is, is kind of gotten a bit overblown because people forget that John Henson was playing with like one hand, and there's no way they were going to be Kentucky with John Henson not healthy either. Now, if both guys are healthy, then I think it's a a very fair close game, just like the one was at Rupp. But there's no way they were going to be Kentucky with John Henson hurt and Kendall Marshall or, or, or with Kendall Marshall um, playing well and healthy, but John Henson still being hurt. They needed both of them at full strength. I'm done. Yeah. Well, well, luckily, yeah. luckily we ended up getting Ty Lawson at, at full strength in, in 09. Cause I remember, I think it was, he sat out the first game, the one verse 16, and then uh, came back in LSU. And then after that, it, it was, they were rolling, but goes to show you that you need a little bit of, of luck and obviously health to, uh, you know, to, to make the, the six game run. No, I'm actually 100% with Sherelle about UNC matching up versus Kentucky that year. I, I mean, I know people like to point to the fact that Carolina played them so close in Rupp and it would have been different the second time around. But no, um, Carolina would have had to be 100% healthy and also play their absolute best game of the season to beat that Kentucky squad, in my opinion. I mean, it was close. Uh, you know, uh, like I said, I, I think they were comparable, but um, you just can't have John Henson because he would have drawn the assignment on Anthony Davis more than likely. Mm-hmm. You can't have John Henson hurt and trying to defend him because it just wouldn't have worked. No, no, not at all. I mean, it would have taken Harrison Barnes, you know, going for like 34 or something like that. It would have had to been one of those crazy type games. But well, the, one, the one thing Henson did have, was, which really neither the 05 or, 0, well, I guess the 09 did off the bench, but, uh, you know, a legit shot blocking presence. Um, so I think defensively, that's kind of the one thing that both those teams were missing. Obviously, Ed Davis coming off the bench. But, um, you know, if he were healthy, it, it would have been great to have that in the discussion as well. But unfortunately, it's not. Well, if you're 2009 and you have to put Ed Davis up against Sean May at at that point in their careers, that's <laughs> I mean that that that's your nightmare scenario right there. That is, oof. yeah, Sean May is going to absolute work there. Uh, let me end it with this, guys, because I thought this was very interesting. And even reading through the thread on Inside Carolina, this kind of plays out. Vipolis mentioned that there was a simulation done between 05 and 09. I think it was 20 total simulations, and 05 won like 17 of them. But then there was a poll that was done online and 70, maybe even over 70% of Carolina fans selected 09. And even in the thread on IC, most people are selecting 09. It's just such such an, an interesting thing. Um, and really, like you both said, I mean, it's just fun that Carolina, as fans, that we all can sit here and debate which of the two national championship squads would be the absolute best. It's a great conversation, one that will really never have an answer. So it's it's good stuff to talk about during these slow news times.
Yeah, definitely, but, definitely enjoyed the podcast. It was very well done. Yeah, it, it really was. Those guys were were great. Um, I actually had a class with Dion Thompson, and he is a first rate guy. Um, and Tyler Hansborough too. They were both in that one, so both are awesome. Uh, but guys, we can go ahead and wrap this up. I do appreciate y'all talking with me, and we will be back with another Coast to Coast podcast in the near future. So stay safe, guys. Thanks, John. Thanks for listening to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com. Where to go for your next Tar Heel gear purchase. What if I told you imaginary friends are real? This is just so exciting. Now, get ready for the movie event with the greatest cast you've ever imagined. Showtime. Ryan Reynolds, John Krasinski, Kaylee Fleming, Fiona Shaw, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, Louis Gossett Jr., Matt Damon, Emily Blunt, George Clooney, Maya Rudolph, Bradley Cooper, Sebastian Maniscalco, John Stewart, Sam Rockwell, Aquafina, Keegan-Michael Key, and Steve Carell. I need to throw up or I need a snack. It's one of the two. Gross. If. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Written and directed by John Krasinski.